two parables about seeking and finding and being found. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you that there is joy in the presence of the angels over one of these sinners who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear God, as we gather here this morning in the brightness of the day, we gather around your word spoken in the sermon present and serve to us as the visible word in bread and wine. We ask that you will send your spirit that all of these words might become to us your body and blood to our faith and might lead us to deeper faith and service. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Each year on this Sunday at Westminster, we mark the beginning of a new year of ministry and programming. For many of us who work here at the church, it represents a time of stepped-up activity. Church school resumes as do youth fellowships and choir rehearsals. Two services every Sunday morning, picnics and breakfasts and dinners for groups in the church who welcome old friends and seek to make new ones. It is always a time of stress, but good stress, even when we have a serious computer issue as we had this week in the office. Something about this fall has led me to feel a keen sense of anticipation, more than normal. And seeing all of you here today and at the early service and at the adult ed and breakfast and whole family creation that we just had, seeing all of you here today has just served to confirm that. As many of us return to church or turn to Westminster for perhaps the first time, I want us to consider for a few minutes what it is that leads us to church and keeps us here. If for no other reason such self-awareness, perhaps informed by some biblical and theological resources, 
may help our involvement in the life of the church, may help our commitment to the church become one of deepened and sharper faith. The two parables of Jesus that we have just read will help us in this exercise of introspection. The first is entitled, The Parable of the Lost Sheep. A shepherd is responsible for a hundred sheep. One sheep is missing. The shepherd leaves the other sheep in the wilderness and searches for that one lost sheep. When the shepherd finds that one lost sheep, he drapes it across his shoulders, returns to the flock, and throws the most lavish party his fellow shepherds have seen in decades. The second parable The parable of the lost coin. A woman has ten silver coins, which is about ten days' worth of wages. She cannot find one coin. She lights a lamp, sweeps the house, searches intently until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls together all her friends and neighbors and throws one of the biggest parties that any of them have seen in years. So both these parables involve a search, a finding, and a lavish celebration at the reversal that has occurred that the finding represents. Earlier this summer, Maggie and I received an invitation to a wedding that will occur next weekend. The invitation reads, Hannah Ray Murphy and Isaac Henry Behrens would be delighted to have your presence at our wedding. Belsolda Farm, Marquette, Michigan. Please dress for the weather and for your comfort. No tuxes, no dirty farm clothes either. We value your presence more than your presence. So please feel no obligation to bring a gift. But if you're looking for a way to give, we would welcome a contribution to our future farm fund. Now Maggie and I regret, we do regret, that we're not able to attend this wedding. We looked it up on a map, and Marquette, Michigan is way at the top of Michigan. It's eight hours north of Chicago. It doesn't appear to be able for us to get there, flying, driving, whatever combination, and get back to the churches that are just revving up this time of year. But our regret stems from the fact that 12 and a half years ago, on an early, beautiful spring day, We were both present when Isaac, the groom-to-be, rode his bike home from the seventh grade to news shared gently by his mother and grandmother that his father had lost his life in an automobile accident a few hours earlier in another state. In the note that we sent Isaac yesterday, We said that we were there during the moment of his greatest loss, 
and that this coming weekend he will have the moment of his greatest love. Love prevails over loss, we said. And his life over the past decade has borne witness to this. In light of what Isaac has been through and what he has now found, it is not possible for next week's celebration to be too lavish, even if a few people do show up in Texas. There are some reversals in human life that cannot be celebrated too much. A careful reading of the Bible reveals that Jesus tells this first parable about lost sheep in both Matthew and Luke. We often think these parables just appear in the Bible. Well, a lot of them appear in more than one gospel. In Matthew, Jesus tells the parable to his disciples as a way of reminding them that every member of this new movement to which they have given their lives is important. That every member of the new Christian community, which had not yet even been given the name of the church, that every member who drifts or falls away is worth seeking to restore. Every lost sheep is worthy of a search. Then in Luke, Jesus tells this same parable, not to his disciples, but to members of the religious establishment who criticize him for associating with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus reminds his fellow religionists, these leaders, that he has come to restore the lost. People who are lost, people who have gone astray, people who have done things or thought things or experienced things that they believe cannot possibly allow them smooth entrance into the arms of God. In Luke, which is what we read, both parables, the lost sheep, the longer one, and the lost coin, the shorter one, lead to lavish celebrations over the reversals that have occurred. And Jesus concludes both parables, or the parables in both Gospels, by saying there is joy in the presence of God, in the, in the angels of God, over one sinner who repents. Now despite the emphasis on repentance and celebration, What is striking in each parable, again, if we pay really close attention to it, is that the only action described is that of the one who does the searching. The shepherd, the woman. Neither sheep nor coin do anything but lie there and be found. I guess sheep lie, I don't know. Maybe they stand. But all they do is sit there to be found. The parable emphasizes the character and action, not of the coin of the, or of the sheep, but of the searcher. And any involvement in the search is, is not on the part of the one found. 
Now, in many ways, this seems counterintuitive to us. Ever since St. Augustine wrote his confession centuries ago, our Western modes of thought and existence have emphasized each individual's search for a meaningful life. Our hearts are restless, Augustine said, until they find their rest in thee. Centuries later, Kierkegaard penned essays entitled, Either Or, You Decide, Purity of heart is to will one thing. In the aftermath of the Holocaust, one of the most widely read books was Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Almost our entire cultural heritage in the West expects us to search for and find personal happiness meaning in our lives, a spiritual identity or relationship with God, it is such searching that likely leads us to this place. Yet as important as our own searching is, these parables raise the counterintuitive possibility that the instincts for searching are actually instincts given to us by God in God's own search for us. Like the shepherd searching for one lost sheep and the woman searching for one lost coin, God searches for us by instilling within us that hint, that instinct, that desire to search for God. Robert Browning wrote in 1855, Just when we are safest, there's a sunset touch, a fancy from a flower bell, someone's death, a chorus ending from Euripides. And that's enough for 50 hopes and fears as old and new at once as nature's self to rap and knock and enter in our soul. Sooner or late, we hit some sense in which it might be, after all, why not, the way, the truth, and the life. The late John Dominic Crossan describes this counterintuitive searching on our part as a finding of that by which we were already and always found. The primary searching is on the part of God. We are the found. It is the rap and knock in our soul that leads us to the way, the truth, and the life. And that rap and knock come from somewhere else. A finding of that by which we were already and always found. Many years ago, a young adult living with her husband in this area experienced, like many of you, the horror of 9-11 as a local event in the neighborhood. Though she had grown up in northern Virginia and knew several people who worked in national security and military, 
the smoke and smell emanating from the Pentagon shocked her. A few weeks later, unrelated to 9-11, she and her husband experienced the death of a very good friend. She says she walked around for weeks thinking and saying to friends, I feel hopeless. I feel hopeless. I feel hopeless. But she had grown up Presbyterian. She had not yet made her way back to the church since college days. But one day she passed by Westminster. And she noticed on our marquee, the sign out by the corner, a one-word message that we had posted. Hope. H-O-P-E. Hope. She came to church the next Sunday. And she is pretty much here every Sunday. Now with children, a spouse, serving in leadership, making this a major center of her life. Was she searching? Possibly. Was she open? Yes. Was she the object of someone else's search? Someone larger and more powerful than she is? Someone hidden and mysterious? I believe that she was a finding by that which we were already and always found. Now, as much as Jesus implies that the shepherd and the woman search for sheep and coin the way God searches for us, and as little as it would be possible for sheep or a coin to respond in any way but to be passively found, Jesus turns the parable into a call for repentance. The joy in heaven is not just over a sheep or coin that is found, but it is over in Jesus' artistic use of the parable. It is over a sinner who repents. Now, the language of repentance can draw up for us all kinds of images, which might lead us to prefer the comfort of being unfound than the prospect of being found. To be sure, in the mouth of far too many, a preacher, a prophet, or an evangelist, the word repent is spoken in such a way as to whet our appetite for anything but repentance. But repentance simply means turning. It can mean turning from sin to God. It can mean turning from something that is destructive to ourselves or destructive to others to something that is healthy for ourselves and upbuilding to others. It can mean turning even from all that is good and view and true to, good and true and beautiful to the one who is the source of goodness and truth and beauty. When we sense that we are found, 
when the rap and knock enter our soul and we notice the neighbors showing up for a party in tux or in dirty farm clothes, the only thing we can do is turn. Turn from our skepticism. Turn from our sin, as overt or hidden as it may be. Turn from self-destruction. Turn from the near single-minded focus we often have on ourselves. For some, that turning is so dramatic that they describe, describe it in language of being born again. For others, that turning is as quiet as a sunset, a flower, a silence after a chorus. But in any event, when we have been found by the one who finds us, what can we do but turn? Amen.